In this episode of Investors and Operators, I sit down with Alexandra Labenthal, who is a financial expert and has been on Wall Street for over three decades. She was the CEO of Labenthal & Company from 1995 until 2017, and is now a senior advisor in the financial sponsors group of Houlihan Loki, where she is spearheading an initiative focusing on women-led businesses and women-owned businesses. Alex, it is awesome to have you on. We can go in so many different directions here, but I would love to start with some advice, which is, I have a four-year-old daughter and a one-year-old son. How can I be a quality father to my daughter? And what are the best lessons that your dad taught you? And maybe a little background on, on your father. So this is a great, great question. I'm so excited that you thought of the question and that it's the first question that you asked. So yeah, let me go back for a sec. Um, my dad was this amazing, larger than life man who actually came from an advertising filmmaking background, was in Hollywood and Life Magazine in the early 50s, worked at Disney, Y&R, um, and Ogilvy during the Mad Men days, ended up joining the business that his parents had founded in 1925 and which uh, his mother, my grandmother then uh, was running on her own and had for many years, joined a municipal bond firm. So big gap between the excitement of all of those former jobs and joining the municipal bond business. Um, what he did was turn municipal bonds into a word that people knew and understood and associated with Labenthal and turned that name in the 1970s, 80s, 90s, and early part of the 2000s into a brand that people, certainly in New York, New Jersey, and Florida, which is kind of the fourth state of that area, um, you know, immediately thought of, associated with. My dad was an amazing communicator, educator, um, and had not only no qualms about having his daughter run the business, but actually was so excited to have his daughter um, be in the position that he was and a spokesman for the firm for many years. Um, so very, very lucky in that respect to have an amazing guy like that. I still meet people who say, you know, I met your dad my first week in the municipal bond industry and 30 years later, I can say he still is the one person who changed my life. So that's a Amazing legacy to <laughs> That's have. That's awesome. Um, so going back to you, you know, I think back to my dad talking to us all the time about the city streets, tunnels, roads, sewers, understanding when we went over the Triborough Bridge that that money was not the toll keepers to keep. It was actually going um, to pay bonds. So talking to your kids about, and especially your daughter, um, about money and investing. And I used to do the same with my daughters, which was to talk to them about stocks and ownership by talking to them about Disney and McDonald's and say, wouldn't you like to own a little bit of this company? Well, you can. And so talking in terms that their little minds could click and create this foundation for them to understand um, about um, investing. I also, maybe this was really a little bit too much, but I used to, when we'd go to buy candy, I would say, okay, you know, here's the one that's more expensive, but here's the one that's less, so you can get more of that. Um, so things like that, where again, it just gives them this foundation. Um, I would say also that telling your daughter constantly that she can do anything she wants to be, it really filters in and creates this this confidence in her. Talk to her about what she wants to be when she grows up. Um, oh, she said she has a. Right now, asked, it's probably a princess. Oh, right? No, 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 no. When I asked her, I was like, she she asked me every single night at dinner, and she's like, Daddy, what do you want to be when you grow up? And and I was like, Well, what do you want to be? She said, I want to be an entrepreneur. I was like, Let's think about the risk of that. <laughs> but yes, let's do that. <laughs> but that's but that's that's amazing. Um, so, and I think, you know what, when she's, you're with your friends who also have daughters, like talk about it. It's just so important for everyone to talk about it as if it's a, a very common thing, an ordinary thing. Um, because again, it's, it's all just becomes a part of who that young girl is going to become as she gets to the point of being a young woman 
on the part about <laughs> confidence, um, on the part about confidence that, you know, for the past uh, eight months now, you know, we were really inspired by uh, Evelise Rodriguez and the story, uh, Evelise at Avante uh, Capital. And she was saying that growing up, you know, with her two sisters, every morning her dad would wake her up and they would look in the mirror and they would, you know, repeat like, today's gonna be a great day. I can and I will. And so for the past eight months, every single morning yep. we say that and we add to it, you know, like hard work pays off and we scream it three times, you know, we're out in the pier working out. And it's just, you know, like today was a good example. It's like, hey, you want, you know, something on Friday? Well, guess what? You got to work hard for it <laughs> to so get that I chocolate put, milk or whatever. I would put money on the, the idea that your daughter is going to end up being incredibly successful in business. And when she's accepting some awards, she's going to count you as her inspiration. So you get dad of the year awards right I, now. I just, one of the things we're trying to think about is like, how do you create the incentive system? So we used to give like, you know, croissant when you go to the cafe, but how do you create that reward system? So yes, you can buy that, you know, if you exercise, but I don't want to tie that. So how do you create that uh, uh, incentive system? And maybe we can come back to that on episode two, but, you know, back to, um, you know, on, um, you know, back to role models, you know, maybe on a similar note, who are the strong females that you have had in your life, the role models, and how have they affected, you know, the way you've lived your life? Right. So first of all, I was very lucky in that I had this incredible role model in my grandmother who graduated from Syracuse University with a law degree in 1920, uh, went to work at a corporate law firm, uh, cooked up this idea to create a municipal bond firm that focused on the odd lot market, convinced her husband that they should start this business. So she became a, you know, a female founder back in 1925, worked until she was 92, um, didn't let anyone or anything stand in her way. And she was four foot 10. Uh, so that was, that, and, and she said, and we have a tape of her accepting a, an award and she said her success was overcompensating for her size. Um, so I, I, I definitely saw her as a role model, but kind of interestingly enough, more after she passed away in the ensuing years, and that was 26 years ago, um, because I think the more I was in the working world and became more and more senior, I recognized what it took for her to achieve the success she had and for to do it as long as she did um, in a time when, you know, it was just ridiculous to think of a woman in that type of position. So very, very lucky in that. Um, I have other role models though, and, and, you know, look, everybody always says, oh, somebody else did it better. Somebody else had a harder situation than I did. So I try and understand that everybody's situation is different. Um, but I'll tell you, there's one woman in particular who I just think of immediately when you raise that question. Uh, her name's Barbara Byrne. She was a senior banker and vice chairman of Lehman Brothers and um, then Barclays Capital. Uh, one of the you know top two or three women on Wall Street and the most strategic, thoughtful, funny, um, helpful women I have encountered who would kind of do anything um, that was needed to help out a friend, but was just so inspirational uh, to, to me and so many other women. So she's one. Um, the other, I would say, kind of similar position, um, Mary Erdos, who's at JP Morgan and runs wealth and asset management. Um, three daughters, uh, one, all of whom were gymnasts. My youngest competed on uh, the same gymnastics team with them. But Mary's the type of person who, with grace and style, runs an incredibly huge business, but always an takes any opportunity to be helpful to someone who couldn't necessarily even repay that, that favor back, which to me is one of the most important things about being a role model to someone is doing something for someone when there's no guarantee of getting that return to you at any time in the foreseeable future, if at all. That's, that's why our company is named 51 Labs. And it, it was called 5149 Labs, and it came from that mindset of always giving more than you are receiving and just having that kind of in your heart and your mind. And it's 
you know, it's, it's difficult to live up to that, especially when you are bootstrapping and you have no money and you're getting things mm -hmm. off the ground. You just want to give, 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 give. And then, but that's such a short-term view as opposed to the medium and long-term view about, you know, what this is, whole thing is about and creating meaningful relationships. Right. Um, right. And I've experienced people who are transactionally minded. You know, you're one of 14 calls on that day and I have 13 minutes to be with you on the phone. And I just, I, I know what I want in my life and it's, I want deep, meaningful relationships. And so to be around people like you were mentioning, where mm -hmm. you know that they, that they just want to give, they just want to be yeah. there for you. They yeah. don't really have anything in it. Right. Right. Or that, that return of the favor may come many years down the line and it may come in a, in a very unexpected way. Um, and it's always fantastic when those moments do happen. But yeah, just doing it because they see the opportunity to help, they see something in you. It's easy enough to make that phone call or send that email. You've worked with hundreds of women over the past you know, decades and have inspired women. And I'm wondering if there's a, a particular moment or story where you kind of realized this is why I do this. Like, this is why I love helping out women who are starting their business or running a business. Uh, so there are a lot of those moments that kind of have different um, elements to them, but I'm just gonna tell you one really brief thing, which wasn't about helping a woman with a business, but it was a woman who worked for us. Um, we were going through some not really fun times at work and every day coming in was just really tough for me. But I knew I had to just keep going because there were people that were relying on me. And one day I came in and there was an envelope on my desk with my name on it. And normally that somebody's resigning or whatever it may be. So open this envelope. It's a woman who worked in operations. And she said, I just want you to know how much I and all the other women in this firm admire you and think of you. And there's no one we would rather be leading us through this time than you. And that just gripped me because a, the fact that she felt completely comfortable writing me that letter, knowing or not knowing how much I actually needed to hear that, um, especially going through a difficult time. Um, and to know that she was not alone in, in feeling that, that same thing. Um, so I would say that's the one thing that just viscerally I immediately go to. That's awesome. It's, it's crazy how um, something as small can be so meaningful when done in a, a genuine way. And it could literally just be a note and it can make yeah. someone's year. <laughs> and now you're remembering, remembering this, what, five plus yeah. years later. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what, actually something that I always recommend doing part of your network is when people are going through tough times, sending that email or making that phone call, just letting them know that you know that it's tough and you're thinking about them. It, it just makes all the difference in the world. It's easy enough to be there when everything's going great, not so much when things aren't. That's good advice. <laughs> let's, uh, let's dive deeper into you know, kind of the difficult times that you've experienced and kind of how you navigated that. And, you know, over the past four years, I've worked with hundreds of transitioning veterans. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm really curious and interested in how people manage big transitions. So, you know, for the transitioning veteran community, uh, for women who might be thinking about their next career, um, you know, I'd love to kind of hear some of the big transitions that you've made in your life, how you've navigated those. And so, you know, specifically back into two years, one mm -hmm. in 2007, when you repurchased the brand for Merrill Lynch, and then, you know, how'd you think about stepping into that again and going to that venture? And then in 2017, when you stepped down as CEO of the firm, you know, what were you going through and how did you manage writing 
this next chapter of your life? And I have a couple of follow-up questions. Right. So first of all, it's always so much easier to have perspective on it and give advice when it gets further and further in the rear view mirror. Um, look, nobody is ever told, okay, the really hard part is gonna start right now. So, you know, fasten your seatbelts, it's gonna be a bumpy night. Um, and nobody ever says, and you're gonna be fine at the end of it. You know, it's like always, I love watching an action movie because you know it's gonna be okay at the end, but that doesn't happen in real life. I will say also that, you know, we all have these moments when we're going through tough times and then we say, oh, well, you know, at least I have my health, at least I have my family, at least, I'm not going through X, Y, Z, but the reality is when it's your own experience, it's still horrible to you. Um, so all those other things aside, you still sort of have to, to deal with those issues. I, um, I will say at least I'm not in that kind of category. Can't imagine what it's like to be leaving the Navy, Air Force, Marines, Army, and have been through, you know, being in Afghanistan or Iraq or, or whatever. That's, I mean, that's like real stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, I do sidebar think about my, my mother's father was a doctor and was in the Guadalcanal for four years, 1942 to 1946. You know, can only imagine what he saw in, uh, in lives he had saved, lives he couldn't save, um, just the atrocities of war. And when he came back, um, had a really, really tough time. But in those days, nobody associated it with post-traumatic stress. That's obviously what it was. So, you know, to go from situations like that, and here I am trying to make a transition into a career is definitely a whole other thing. But um, so 2007, and I think this is the case for a lot of entrepreneurs. Actually, if we, I want to go back to that yeah, because sure. um, I think it's easy to dismiss when we compare to things like war, our own difficulties. But you know, regardless if you have a million in the bank or a dollar in the bank, it still sucks. And it still really yeah. affects whether or not you can make some life-changing decisions in your mental health, your physical health. And so I, I think it's one of the things I've had to recognize um, is just under, like doing my own mental health checkups. And with things with my mom, like she's had, you know, she her uh, three husbands have passed away. My, my brother died of a brain tumor. And I like, she's experienced a lot of stress. And I think I just had to really take that step back. Like, no, I mean, I have to recognize that is equally as important of the stories I've heard on the other side with, you know, transitioning veterans and to recognize that there's something that we just can't see and also be more accepting of myself and her. But yeah. so, I'm, you know, I'm wondering like the transitions that you have been through, you know, let's just go straight to in 2017, maybe of like, how, what happened and how did you manage that? Because yeah. I think it's really important to, for people to see that perspective. So it's way too long a story. What I like to say is it's more appropriate for a Netflix uh, series. You binge watch and you just keep clicking on next episode at the end because you want to find out what happens. So actually the way I describe that is really important because having a sense of humor about everything and being able to project um, things that have happened that are not great in a way that doesn't make people think, oh God, I have to, you know, hear this sad tale. And this person has really good perspective on it. Again, it's easier once you're, you're past that. Um, but look, for me, um, I realized that I actually was not inspired by what I was doing every day. Um, was kind of dreading waking up and thought, boy, is this just what I need to keep doing and I'm supposed to keep doing and I need to take care of all those employees and I need to take care of the business. So that feeling was growing and growing as we were going through um, a situation that was pretty rough. But, and it was a situation in a time period that actually was about a year. And so it took me about a year to realize, you know, 
know what? Okay, to walk away. Because if it's about what it's gonna take to make you happy, that's what the most important thing is. Um, I like to say, I have a lot of these images and analogies, but I like to say I sort of walked away like the end of a movie in slow motion, you know, with like flames behind me and a leather um, one piece outfit, like, okay, I'm tougher for it and I know where I'm going from here. Um, what I didn't really know though was what was going to be next. And I think that part of the journey in many ways was the most difficult because after all these years, going back to the early 90s of being Alexandra Labenthal of Labenthal, I was just Alexandra Labenthal and I didn't know what I was going to be of or where I was going to be. And I had an uh, you know anxiety, I guess, about making that happen as soon as possible. And you can't control something like that. So it actually took me a few years to really evolve to the concept of working with female-led businesses that has gotten me to my to my new position today, um, and now I'm absolutely thrilled with it. But you know, it takes a lot of time to go through tough situations and kind of emerge from it. Um, you know, when you finally see light at the end of the tunnel and realize, okay, I'm I'm here. It was a long, hard climb through this tunnel, but it took is it just time or how did you manage this? Like, what are some, so if people are going through this right now, you know, maybe they're in something that they just do not like the past year has made them realize yeah. that and, but they're afraid to leave that identity. Yeah. Um, what advice do you have for them? And how did you kind of maybe specifically manage that process or was it just a, a really rough process and it wasn't done well? It, it, yeah, it was a rough process, but I'll tell you the most important thing, um, and this is kind of the way I've always been, is having as many conversations with people as you can and knowing that there's that one connection, that one conversation that's gonna take you to the next, to the next, to the next, like a series of stepping stones until you get to the place where you're supposed to be or you wanna be. Um, so I'll tell you, I probably talked to hundreds of people over two and a half years and all of those people actually, even the, you know, aside from the one that really did get me, um, to where I am today, all of those had some value for me. And so just knowing that really, I think that's the most important thing at the end of the day. Um, so time less so because you could just sit in your apartment or your house and nothing's gonna happen. Um, but being out there and doing as much as you can and talking to as many people as you can just makes a huge difference. Obviously family's incredibly important. I totally lucked out in meeting the love of my life in college and someone who uh you know has just always been there to support me 100 so that means a huge difference and kids um and a lot of wine <laughs> <laughs> wine therapy um, but i think that is a such a good point that the road to the next chapter is our stepping stones it's not a it's not a paved it's not a paved road that's smooth and it's not right. straight. And I love that. Just it turns to like, um, in terms of just kind of changing expectations, that it's going right. to be rough, but it's a series of stepping stones. Mm -hmm. um, so, how do you think, you know, looking back on the risks that you have taken in your in your career, how do you understand risk? How do you understand entrepreneurial risk? What advice do you have for women who want to start that business now that you've been through a lot? Yeah. So it's funny because I used to say, uh, I'm afraid of the dark. I'm afraid of falling down, um, you know, afraid of going too fast in a car. Um, but I wasn't afraid of taking business risk. Now, looking back on it, not so sure I should have been so um, so sure of things, but if you have a great idea, you're passionate about it, you feel like it solves a problem for you and for other people 
many, many other people like you, exploring that and, and figuring out if you can do something with that um, is it, it just, you know, I can't imagine what it's like to just stuff that idea down and never do anything about it. So look, the thing is today, it's a lot easier to start a business than it was 25 years ago. Um, first of all, it's much more uh, you know, normal for a woman to go out and start a business. You have amazing role models of women who have. Um, there's the internet, which makes things a lot easier. There's their angel investors and, and venture capitalists that are focusing on women. Um, so I think the first risk and the main risk you have to take is doing it. Um, the thing that I think is the most important thing though around risk is to have perspective on it, manage it, think about it. Um, so if you want to expand your business, don't just say, okay, well, you know, this part went fine. So now we'll just do this and that's going to be fine too. But no, think about that think about, okay, what could go wrong? Um, do I have enough human resources? Do I have enough financial resources? Um, does this really fit with the rest of my business? So being, you know, look, there's risk management in every bank. Every bank knows they're going to take risk, but you have to manage it in terms of, you know, the sector, the other um, areas where you're taking risk. Um, so risk is important. Managing it is, is even more important. I will say the other thing, though, that is just really, really uh, critical is to think about the financial risk. Uh, you're going to forego something in terms of you know, your employment and getting a paycheck every two weeks. So that's the first financial part. But in terms of putting your own capital into a business or guaranteeing debt, those are things that you have to think about really carefully. And I don't think enough people say, okay, sit down for a sec. Uh, yeah, you're incredibly passionate. You've got this great idea and this wonderful business, but you got to put yourself in the mindset for a few minutes of what if it doesn't work out? Mm. Am I prepared to have lost all this money? Can I live with that? Am I prepared to have to pay bank debt off? Will I be able to do that? Do I have assets? And if I do, are those assets that I'm willing to sacrifice? If you go through that process and then you're fine with that after you've, you've envisioned that rough time, then keep going, but I just don't think enough people do, do that. that. That's awesome. And it, you know, in this most, the second entrepreneurial venture that we've done with our family, we went through that scenario with my wife and I were like, what's the worst that can happen besides death? Um, you know, the worst that can happen is we lose everything. Okay. Let's, we'll move in with some family member. Right. But are we willing to be 75 and not take this risk and then regret it? Because we can never make that uh, decision again. We can never go back. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, to kind of close up this chapter of the talk, you know, talking about, you know, what you have learned and then kind of looking forward. Um, if, you know, I think it was maybe this month, six years ago, you know, with your dad, you know, if, 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 if you're sitting down with him now, and your dad had a knack for sayings and and catchy and catchy phrases. Right. What would he say about this next chapter? What would he title this next chapter if we had to come up with a catchy saying for this chapter of your life? Oh God, I'm gonna have to think about that one liner quick or or add um, that he would have had, but. I will say that some of the more difficult times in my life and career, even working with him, which was difficult at times, he always, I mean, not frequently, but at those times would give me a compliment, would say, you are your grandmother, you are so capable. And I, you know, he would, he would say that now at a moment when, you know, I just really wanted and needed to hear it. Um, so I will arrange, uh, have to um, put a pin in 
on exactly what <laughs> say, but he'd say it with flair. Um, he'd say it with passion. And uh, yeah, it was six years ago last Friday. Just amazing how that time whooshed by and still miss him a great deal. And I know actually with everything that's happened over the last eight months, God, it would be impossible to keep him inside. He'd be out on the subways <laughs> and doing videos and stuff. So, you know, grateful we didn't have to manage that. Well, I, I that's it. such good advice on giving a compliment because my wife and I work together and I think it's easy to lose sight of the, the little things and ma manage that delicate balance between this is my partner in business and this is my partner in life and making yeah. sure to be just an awesome partner on both. Um, you know, kind of looking at this next chapter, you know, you recently joined Houlihan at, to lead this initiative focusing on women-owned businesses. Um, you wrote an article that was really good called The Other Gender Gap, and you outlined four parts about how Houlihan will disrupt traditional norms by focusing on women-owned and led companies. So can you share kind of what those four parts are to the strategy? And can you talk about maybe, you know, like what does success look like? How can we think about some specific numbers and time, maybe not necessarily for Houlihan, but for the industry um, and can bring in the uh, topic of kind of the state of diversity in the market? Right. So I have always thought about things in terms of dollars and cents and, and business. I mean, I've always thought that's the way that you get people to do something is if you can give them an incentive. We were talking about that earlier. So while all of the human capital diversity uh, marketing stuff is super important because you've got to lay the, the groundwork for, for why this is something that, that people and companies should be focusing on. For me, it was about there's a business opportunity here and it's time for that opportunity and um, nobody's doing it. So there's a first mover advantage there. Um, so First of all, I have to say, super exciting thing for me is that there's a very successful investment bank in Wuhan, Loki, that got it and wanted to do it and wanted to be a leader in something that has not been done before. And it really sends to me a signal that there are, we're at this kind of new inflection point. Um, so you take that, you take all these female-led SPACs that have come out. You take Jane Frazier being named uh, CEO of Citigroup. Um, and there are just all these data points that show me, wow, we're at this new moment. Got to keep the momentum going. Um, but so in terms of uh, that article, which I was really excited about because you know, it's one thing to give the, the paragraph to someone, the four or five sentences on what you're doing, but to really be able to delve deep within um, a, a topic and give details on it um, was exciting. We got a great reaction to it. Um, so first, what I saw was so many female-led businesses that were growing in size at the point of needing capital. Um, and these are businesses that really are below what we're focusing on at Houlihan. But what I recognized was that they didn't have relationships on Wall Street um, or venture, uh, you know, any part of financial services. And having relationships is, and developing those is so critical because if you're at the point where all of a sudden you need that capital or you need to sell the company and you've got to, you know, meet the person for the first time or the company for the first time, it's going to help you get there. Um, that's kind of the, the, the worst time that you want to be able to do that. But if you know someone and a company over time, they've given you advice. Um, and so at that point, then you go, oh, I know this person. I know this company. I understand what they do, and I want them to be my partner in helping me get there. That's sort of the first thing that I recognized. Um, the other thing that I also saw was 
that there are more and more larger middle market businesses that uh, were exiting through IPOs or sales, um, be it uh, Stitch Fix, The Real Real, Eventbrite. Um, so all of a sudden, um, they're like women-led businesses that I think Wall Street firms are looking at saying, hey, that was a big deal. Somebody was ended up making a lot of money, whether it was on the uh, investing side of being early stage investors in that company, whether it was leading the IPO. Um, so that was this other signal to me that, wait, there is a market out here. So really communicating around to the, that group of companies and CEOs, but also to the rest of financial services and the investment banking community was another really, that, that was kind of the most meaningful thing in deciding to um, push forward with this initiative because you got to know that there's, there's, you know, customer out there. Um, and then also, and this kind of touches on the, the earlier part in the terms of having those relationships, but creating a um, a brand or an identity in the market, creating thought leadership so that you're again telling, you know, whether it's the, the female leaders or whether it's the rest of, of financial services industry that look here are the issues facing female founders, um, you know, it, thought leadership in general around that topic was is really, really critical. And one of the things I like to say is, you know, women are pretty smart, as we know, and they know when they're being kind of shamelessly marketed to. So remember a few years ago, there was a pink pen for women. Um, you've got to do more than hang out a pink investment banking shingle, but really say, hey, look, we, uh, we're, we're going to do all this stuff around that so that we're really being communicative and thought leaders and helpful, not just saying, yeah, we want to do business with you. What does success look like in the industry, do you think? Um, maybe starting off by looking at the private equity side, as a, uh, the buyout side as opposed to venture. Um, what is the state of female founders um, or female-led uh, private equity firms? I think you know, early last year, it was something like 1% out of all private equity firms have a female founder or female uh, on, the, on the founding team. Um, what are, what numbers have you seen? And you know, maybe most importantly, like what does success look like? So I have not had an easy time finding uh, stats on women in PE lot easier in the venture space, probably because there's a lot more activity um, in that area. But I will say, I've, uh, sometimes I think people may may interpret this as being Pollyanna-ish, and it's not because I'm very aware of all of the issues and challenges. But I also always try and look at the the advances that have been made as as sort of the the foundation of success going forward. So I would say in the last couple of months, I have met a number of women who um, have their own funds. Uh, several of which you have had uh, on your series as well. And so they're out there. A lot of them came from the big PE shops and you know they're investing in companies. They are having success. Um, they are communicating with one another um, and they're kind of, it's interesting. They're sort of as much as an opportunity um, as I also see within the, the female led companies and especially connecting those two together. Um, so huge uh, distance still to go. Um, but I will say the other thing that is also really encouraging to me is that the big firms, uh, the big private equity uh, funds have made some really key uh, promotions and, and uh, hires uh, around women or uh, like I, you know, Apollo's uh, new impact fund is, is headed, co-headed by Joanna Reese, uh, Blackstone's impact fund, uh, Tanya Barnes. Uh, then you have company uh, funds like TPG, which have made such a focus around putting women on boards that they require every company uh, in which they invest to have a female board member. So, you know, those are the, the sort of 
big kind of watershed or explosion moments at the big funds that also will kind of trickle down or trickle out through the rest of the industry. Nice. Yeah, I, I think the there's so much that I think on where the problem or the state of it now, and I think we're at that next evolution now that there is a lot of public awareness of like, okay, what is the what do we actually want? Like, what does success look like at the end of this? Um, what is that time frame for it? And I think it's um, from the interviews that we've done. I think is going to be the next big question that people are tackling. So let's talk now about the topic of balance. <laughs> Everybody discusses it in generalities, but I'd love to hear just how you think about balance, especially with women in the workforce, women running their businesses, women in finance. Like you've been through a lot in your career. What is your advice and how do you kind of think about that topic? So it's it's first of all, I am now the mother of two adult children and one uh, child who's a, a junior in high school. So, you know, I'm past the stage of having to pick up uh, a, a child and deal with crying and getting to the school thing, but that maybe gives me more perspective. So the thing about balance, I have given so many speeches on so many questions, been on so many panels and when that topic comes up, the question comes up uh, for everyone who's old enough to remember, it's like the old EF Hutton commercials where everybody leans in because they're waiting for the answer that will give them how they can achieve balance and achieve it forever. But that word in and of itself, first of all, causes I think extra anxiety for women. Um, and the idea that somehow everyone else has it except you and you're behind and have failed in it. But if you think about balance and think about, you know, walking on a tightrope and having that moment where you're going like this and you're going like this and, and that's keeping you steady and getting you to the other end. And then you're done with that for the moment. So I will tell you my own experience was it was when we sold the company, I was with the parent company, not having the best time, had to go to Hartford, Connecticut multiple times, uh, came back on a Friday, rainy, rainy Friday, stuck in traffic to meet my husband and then two little kids um, at the Shanghai Circus. And I'm just miserable thinking I've done this all wrong today. And I started watching these acrobats do these incredible things, like on six foot tall unicycles and throwing bowls and cups to each other. And they were landing on their head. And, and uh, sometimes the bowl fell and it broke. Um, and I still was amazed that they even got it at all. So what I realized at that moment was, you know what? Balance is that moment when you got it do that thing, that crazy thing. And sometimes the bowl's gonna fall and people are really just amazed you tried it to begin with. So there are gonna be days when you're walking down the street and you're crying on your phone to your husband because you were late, you missed the mother-daughter lunch and you're gonna feel like a complete failure. And then there are days when you're gonna to get to the school play on time. You're gonna get back to the office. There's gonna be no traffic. You're gonna be brilliant. And you're super mom. At the end of the day, you're super woman. But neither of those days are permanent. They're gonna be days when you cry. They're gonna be days when you soar. And so recognizing that that's okay. You're just going from one moment to the next. The bad times are never going to last and the good times are never going to last. So um, I, I, that's my most important sort of insight into it. And I just um, hope that women can recognize that same thing and give themselves a break because most people are amazed that they even tried it to begin with. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Awesome. All I right. am actually picturing myself on those days too. I remember the crying. I remember that moment of my daughter was, uh, was Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz and I was supposed to get ruby slippers and I had forgotten. And then of course I was scouring the city for them. And I literally got to the play like just at the point where she needed them. I slid them across like perfectly. <laughs> And I was just like, oh my God, I am the most amazing mother ever. Um, so, you know, proud of those moments, but those don't happen every day. 
I love that. I love that. Um, I've had my fair share of that crime moments balling up in an entrepreneurial journey. Um, yes, so much, yes. <laughs> I've been in the bathroom at a cafe crying. I'm like, I have no idea what the hell I'm going to do. And, uh, and we don't have money. Do I, am I yeah. passionate about this? Do I care about being an entrepreneur? Do I need to, am I being a bad father? Am I being a bad husband? What you can't pay the bills this month. And then now two years later, three years later, it's like the things that I, the, that I thought would be the worst that would happen. If they mm -hmm. happen, it's not that bad. Like you'll find a way to get through it. Uh-huh. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so the last question, our guest speaker, Zach Walters. Zach is a, a transitioning veteran, spent around nine or 10 years in the SEAL teams and based in San Diego. And, and he's really thinking about kind of this next step in his career. So, you know, Zach, I'd love to kind of hear, you know, what question you have for Alex and, you know, see if there's some advice that, you know, she would give to not just you, but people who are in a similar situation. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I appreciate your time and uh, just being here, uh, listening to your experiences and, and Jordan yours as well of understanding that right now at that stage of my life, I feel like uh, very, very similar to you guys' sentiments of, of the whirlwind and trying to figure out direction and if I'm on the right path or, or just which way's up sometimes. So I really appreciate uh, you guys being able to share in, <laughs> in that, that thought. But uh, mainly the question is for whether it's, you know, females or myself, uh, individuals that are in, in my similar situation, just that, that person that's trying to transition to the next step, trying to transition into a community that's not the, the atypical, um, you know, background or path. Uh, do you have any advice for individuals like uh, myself or um, any kind of direction that we should, you know, really hone in on? So, you're actually in a great position because you've been an operator, essentially. Um, maybe you weren't CEO of a company, but you were operating in an environment with incredible stress around you, the need for mental toughness, the need for physical toughness, the need for teamwork. And my God, who wouldn't want to hire someone like that? Um, so recognizing how valuable that experience is, I think, is the first part. Um, as I was talking earlier, having as many conversations with people as possible. And look, who doesn't want to talk about somebody being a Navy SEAL? You know, there's sort of that, that excitement, um, you know, and that patriotism and that stamina that we all love to hear about. So you know, people want to talk to you, I think, and just taking advantage of, of those opportunities. Um, you know, look, recognizing also that there are some incredibly successful people on Wall Street or in other industries that have come from the armed forces. And, you know, I always say this about uh, my college, which is that, um, I would, no one except a complete jerk is gonna say like, no, I won't talk to you even though you went to my college and we experienced the same thing over four years, you know, over a different period of time. I cannot imagine that another veteran at a private equity firm or, or a bank is not gonna wanna talk to you and, you know, pay that forward. Um, so just, you know, not, don't be bashful. And I'm sure that's not been in your personality about reaching out to those people. Um, I love and, that tactic of yeah. like that specific networking tactic of finding people who have a very common path because you might find a veteran at a firm and then you, they might not be in the function that you like or right. doing what you want, but you can have a good conversation and then you can network within that firm because of that. Like, ah, you know what? Sales and trading isn't, isn't really it, but you should talk to Jane over in banking. Let me connect exactly. you. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's, all, and, that's all I met you, yeah. Jordan. It was yep. from a prior, a prior guy. He was like, you know, it's in the same situation that I'm in, uh, a couple of steps ahead of me. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, well, you, you need to, you need to meet Jordan, go reach out to Jordan, just cold call him. And I did. Yeah. And he's been amazing. And then, and not even just, yeah, not even just with your, your Navy experience, but, um, and connection, but with business school as well. I mean, you got, you're going to a business school that some very, very successful people 
uh, went to and, um, you know, just reaching out through that network, um, just recognizing that your networks are there and not every conversation is going to lead to that opportunity for you, but every conversation is going to lead somewhere. But I think really just um, looking at what you what you bring to the table from your experience. I, I have to say there are two types of people I would hire all day long. People with military experience and wait for this, former gymnasts. Um, I had a, a, my youngest daughter competed from age um, eight to 12, uh, you know, pretty, pretty high up level. And the fact that she could walk out onto the floor with three other events going on, get on, you know, a four inch balance beam, do double back handspring and a back tuck and be that focused that that yeah. one millimeter didn't, you know, didn't make a difference if she was completely aligned and knew what she had to do. And you know what? And also kind of going back to that whole balancing, if she fell, she just got right back up no tears, no embarrassment, no, you know, admission of pain, but just getting right back up there and doing it, even though your score was going to be crappy. So I would hire those girls all day. I did a, a vlog in January with uh, Callie Steffes and she was a gymnast and she said, okay. the amount of times I fall on my face, but you keep on getting back up and you keep yeah. on going. Yeah. It's just such a good, you know, parallel for what we experience in life. The amount of tenacity and discipline they have is just, it's, it's unreal. It is. And not yet, not to mention the, you know, the dedication and the time. I mean, when she was 12, she was working out 20 hours a week uh, and then (laughs) stuff on weekends. And I mean, we have a picture of her at age like 11 asleep when she was supposed to be doing her homework because she was starting her homework when other girls were going to bed. So, um, so yeah, military experience and all together. Right. There we go. (laughs) Alex, this has been awesome. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us and, uh, and, and run through these, uh, this long discussion that went in a variety of directions. (laughs) Thanks so much for your time. Yes, absolutely. No, super fun. And, and love, love what you're doing. So very, very honored to, to be a part of it.